0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce The Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash Track, And thanks.
1: Okay, in more than 200 episodes, I realized recently that we've never had a classical guitarist on the show, and the reason this came to mind is, first, I discovered this wonderful record we're going to talk about in a second, but also that I used to play classical guitar at a very low level in my guitar career, and it's an instrument that I really like, I've always enjoyed, and I don't know why we didn't go out of our way to find a classical guitarist, but this week we have Gerard Cousins, who is a Welsh guitarist, and we noticed you in particular because you have an extraordinary new record of transcriptions of some pieces by Philip Blast. Gerard, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you both. You are the first Welshman we've had on the podcast, I believe. (laughs) Well, we try to, you know, be diverse, have as many people as possible. We'll talk about the album later. It's called Escape. It's a number of pieces of music by Philip Glass, most of which I remember from back in the day. These aren't recent pieces. But I wanted to start just by talking about the guitar. I started playing guitar when I was 16. Like most people, it was to play some rock music. And I eventually got interested in classical music just because of hearing it on the radio Radio and classical guitar is—it's kind of hard, isn't it? But in particular, back then, there wasn't a lot of repertoire available recorded. It was really, really limited. I, I went into my vinyl box to bring some visual aids. So, I have a box of about 100 vinyl records that date from the late 70s, early 80s. So, this is the first one that turned me on to contemporary classical music. This is Julian Bream, 20th century guitar. In particular, it has Britain's magnificent piece, Nocturnal, and then... This was my guitar hero, Narcisco Yeppies. I have the two albums on Deutsche Grammophon of his transcriptions of Bach's Lute Works. I saw Yeppies once in Carnegie Hall. It was fascinating. He had this 10-string guitar, which gave an extraordinary sound. So why is it that for so long the repertoire was so limited to, let's say, Bach and Weiss and the sort of Spanish-influenced music?
2: Ah, good question. Um, we, I mean, there was music composed for the guitar, throughout history or ever since the guitar kind of became the guitar but i think a lot of it was limited and we can talk about this with later with the transposition and transcription process there's only a few keys that really work on the guitar um and a lot of what was great about romantic music was the depth of um the modulations the different keys that the pieces would go to and the sort of um the size of the gestures you wanted. So the piano could do these very large scale um, diminuendos and crescendos and very high notes and very low notes. And the guitar is just this very small, limited, int- intimate instrument. So everything has to be uh, sort of, as Segovia said, sort of looked, it's like an orchestra looked through um, the wrong end of a telescope. <laughs> so you, you get everything you want, but it's all kind of very subtle and small scale. Yeah. Um, But as a whole, I mean, when I went to university and, and, and studied classical guitar, I was one of the outsiders because I couldn't join the orchestra. And even though there is a lot of chamber music and more so now, that was never really, no one really knew about it. And I didn't know about it at the time either. And it was very hard to find. Um, The pieces in the libraries and things like that, it wasn't.
1: And there's really only one well-known concerto for guitar and orchestra. And when you've heard that 20 times, I mean, it's a wonderful piece, but it gets boring after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are hundreds written. There's so many
2: brilliant concertos out there, but um, you see it now with the big signings. Um, You join Deutsch Grammophon or EMI or something. There's a kind of little set of pieces that the classical guitarists play. And Concerto Erranweth by Rodrigo, of course, is, is one of them and they'll get through a few albums of spanish favorites and things and then maybe do a beatles one and it's and that's kind of the repertoire that, that it seems that the big record companies are interested in and then then they'll find a new face and
1: and that's exactly the point I wanted to make, but I didn't dare say it that way. I'm glad you said it because the, the latest young guitar face that came out a few years ago, I think he's from some Eastern European country. And exactly as you say, comes up with the Spanish stuff. And then, yeah. you know, there's a concerto here and there, yeah, maybe yeah. a Bach recording, but it ends there. And on the one hand, there, there is a potential for a huge repertoire. But on the other hand, it, it seems like people don't care that much about the classical guitar uh well it has its it's it's a niche
2: within a niche i think really and it's strange i mean john williams back in the 70s was doing sky and really doing his best to 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 bring it um to the mainstream and he he succeeded i think really back in back in those days but then it just faded away again it's a very difficult instrument to to record and play with other instruments because The lovely sustained part of the sound just kind of disappears when you play with other instruments and you're left with a little ping, which isn't very satisfying. Um, Nowadays, with um, really good amplification, which is available now, you can kind of make the guitar sound a lot better in a chamber context and a lot of the instrument makers have been working on making louder instruments as well.
1: I remember back in the day I had a pickup that I put on my guitar with like blue tack or something yeah. to be able to you know this was a steel string Yamaha acoustic guitar and I know that not, you know not long after that they built instruments with the pickups inside and you've got EQ and you've got volume settings kind of like on an electric guitar. So you do have lots of amplification. That's only with a steel string. With a nylon string classical... That doesn't exist. It's a completely
2: different process. No, because it's, um, the pickup works on um, a process of magnetism and with nylon strings.
1: No, no, no. I'm no, talking about the kind of pickup yeah. that you'd put on the body of the guitar oh. that would pick up the resonance.
2: Well, you can get these piezo, which are kind of senses right. rather than pickups right. in a way. But then they, they can't transfer that sound. Anyway. Yeah. And for me, classical guitar is it's the sound, is the primary function of that instrument because it's so limited.
1: Was there, was there a period when the classical, I mean, Julian Bream, he was really popular, he did things yeah, yeah. on the BBC, he put out record after record, but was it even then seen as a sort of a curiosity more than anything else? That's
2: right. I, I know the history of the instrument very well, but I'm not sure I can explain how it was perceived by the general public throughout history, but certainly it seems to me in the late 70s and early 80s, um, classical guitarists were on TV a lot. Um, I used to work in a, a place called the Spanish Guitar Centre, which is one of the oldest shops and teaching institutions in London, and they used to tell me that there were queues every day for people coming in to get guitars at that point, and it was just a super popular instrument. But it seems to have faded, and and it's there's I don't know there's very little classical music on TV really nowadays anyway, let alone guitar. Um, and and guitar it's back again in terms of pop and rock music, but again that went through phases of um, people playing synthesizers and programming rather than actually playing the real instrument.
1: Yeah, it, the, 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 the the electric guitar reached its peak in the seventies, and then it certainly faded back once synthesizers, once you know rhythm machines came. And as you alluded to earlier, I think the classical guitar is actually a very difficult instrument to play as well. It's very difficult. It's very easy to make a um, bad sound. To, just to start with, you got a deal with the nails. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that alone is a real headache. Do, do have there been any, because I've played finger-picking blues and I've used finger-picks for that. Does anyone in, do that with classical guitar? Um, probably the majority of professional players nowadays will probably have
2: some kind of um, acrylic or false nail that they glue on. Oh, uh, okay. It's quite hard. I managed to keep my nails natural. I'll say now I've got some super glue on one of them at the moment with a little bit of extra, but... If you if you've got a big schedule and you're playing six hours a day, you can. It's very hard to keep your nails um, just from wearing out. Really, yeah, um, sure. So, yeah, ping pong balls used to be very popular that you could kind of cut those and glue them on and things. I've heard of that. But, yeah, uh, but every time you glue them on, the the, the glue eats through the na- natural nail a little bit. So then you get stuck in this cycle, and that's, you can't win. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So yeah, exactly. It's a, this instrument demands.
0: Oh, such subtlety <laughs> yeah. and
2: such tiny you know you, you cut your nail two millimetres too much and then you, the next two weeks you're just in agony because you can't make the sound you want and
1: you know. yeah that, that's really and and the, as you say it's a difficult instrument to play I mean the guitar has the advantage of having frets, which makes it an yep. easier instrument than some others. But getting the right sound from a classical guitar is extremely difficult. It's not just a matter with an electric guitar, you press your fingers, you're gonna get the good sound. With classical guitar, you're dealing with so many nuances of dynamics on the different strings. It's very difficult. And that's why I love the instrument. That's
2: that's what I've become obsessed with over the years yep. is, is Really just trying to exploit the, the possibilities of the nuance, of the tone, of the variation of the sound, of the volume. And, and it's so subtle that, yeah, you can just spend your lifetime just concentrating on that, I
1: think. So one thing for me about the guitar is it's really not ergonomic. It's one of the worst instruments that you can play. I have some back problems, and it's – you know, I tried – I have a cheap classical guitar upstairs, and I've messed around with it. I bought one of those things with the suction cups that raises it from your knee, and then there there are all sorts of things. How do you deal with that? I mean, you're young now, but imagine in 30 years of being in that twisted position. How do you deal with that? Oh, well, I've suffered –
2: I've been to chiropractors, you've explained that my lower back's got a curve in it and my hips yep. out of kilter. And um, I experiment with various different um, ways of playing because the, foot, the footstool was the traditional way. And that's the one that uh, bends your back and things. Yeah. But I always find I go back to that in the end, even though I'm trying another device at the moment. But I'm quite tall as well. I'm over six foot and the guitar... Isn't very well designed for a tall person either. So that you can buy mm. these extensions for your arms, you can yeah. buy extensions to go under the guitar and Yeah, I've come up with ideas of of changing the shape. Because if if you sit so that your right arm is favoured, then your left arm has a harder time and vice exactly. versa. So I think someone in Holland recently came up with this design that I kind of imagined wasn't possible, but he seems to have done it. I've not tried it yet. I think in Belgium or Holland some kind, where the neck is kind of
1: I've um, seen that. Yeah, but bits. how how do the strings stay on the neck? That's, yeah. that's kind yeah. of I'm not sure. And then, and then it, does that
2: guitar sound as good as?
1: Yes, and there's no reason it shouldn't. But well, Paul Galbraith has that wonderful guitar <laughs> shaped like a cello, and I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to a video of him playing something. It's really interesting because there's a pin at the bottom that goes onto a box to resonate the sound. Um You can see that. What is it? The frets are slightly angled, mm-hmm. so they're more adapted to the position of the left hand. And I think he he worked with a, a luthier to design that because yep. of back problems, didn't he? I have a feeling as well he did a bit
2: of yoga when he was younger because he, he used to sit on the floor cross legged in the kind of lotus position
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah.
2: then it kind of developed out of that. And that's something I've never managed to do. My hips have never been very flexible. So, um, like, out of what John McLaughlin, another favorite guitarist of mine, big yoga guy, he can sit on the floor and yeah. play. Play guitar very comfortably, and
1: so we yeah. see this in flamenco guitarists playing standing up. Mm-hmm. Why don't classical guitarists play like that? A lot of it, I think, is because you need to do something to the instrument,
2: like drill a little hole in it or put a little put a pin at uh, the end. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And we just—I don't know—we're brought up not to do that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's even even having one dot on your fretboard as a marker is not necessarily scaled upon, but the guitars don't come that way, and. I used to play electric guitar, which had a dot on every yeah. three, five, seven, and I went to work in this guitar shop, and there were no dots on the brand new guitars, and it was like <laughs> I saw a very interesting video recently about a guy who come up with a very nice way of sit, uh, standing ergonomically, but you had to drill into the neck and put the and put the strap on there,
1: which is something I'd love to try out, but I'm not going to do that to my guitar.
0: No,
2: I'm afraid. Yeah, well, yeah. just
1: buy a cheap guitar and try and, yeah. and, a, and a power drill and some bits and see what you can do. But it does seem that the standing position would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, if guitarists around the world do it for all sorts of other genres, obviously the difference is you're, you've got to have the angles of your fingers different, you know, just at a right angle to pluck the strings, so it's, it's, it's a different you dynamic. To, the Guitar needs to be in a
2: very stable position so that if you want to play these subtleties of, of tone production, you need... You know, a millimeter adjustment changes a lot. So that if your guitar is swinging around, then you can't do it. You can't play like that.
1: So, so you need one of those stands, like the Prague yeah. rockers had, <laughs> that they would walk over to when they had the three-neck guitar. It's,
2: it was invented called the tripodium by D- Dionisio Aguado in sort of 1780 or something. I'm not sure exactly his date. So, and a classical guitarist, and he, he came up with that idea. Yeah, he said that's the best way. So we should go.
0: That's how they play the piano. You don't have to wear yeah. the piano. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: So let's talk about the record Escape. Now, this came to my attention on Apple Music. Here's new music related to what you've listened to. And the first thing that came to mind is... Why hadn't anyone done this before? And I did some research. There are a couple of recordings of some Philip Glass music for guitar. Yep. There's actually one, which now I don't understand the math here, a guitar quintet playing string quartets by Philip Glass. So I don't know how they worked that out.
0: Oh, also, I thought, didn't I see in your discography that you had done um, one of your earlier recordings of, of Philip Glass' piece? I had actually done um,
2: homage to Philip Glass that i did yes, myself. Yes, that's Yeah. But, um, yeah. There was a guy, this guy David Leisner, guitarist, who I think he'd met Philip and he'd um, done an arrangement with Philip. And that's really the only official guitar piece that I ever came across uh, from Philip Glass.
1: And that was one of the reasons... It's that- worth pointing out that yours is an official release yep. because it's on Philip Glass's record label, Orange Mountain yep. Music. And that
2: was one of them. Um, that was what was so wonderful about it because this project started oh, maybe over a decade ago. And with me writing... To Philip Glass Publishers with an idea to do another piece called Str- Strung Out I think it was, one of his very early works and the letter I got back implied that Philip Glass didn't like um, guitar very much and, and the amount of paperwork I needed to fill in I kind of just got scared off from the whole, whole idea of doing it <laughs> and I've always been an independent musician of mine, I did everything myself and when I start to hit bureaucracy and, and things like that I just I'd rather not deal with it I'd rather just get on and just make music on my own terms so getting this on orange mountain music was um was amazing for me really because um the whole project well a few years later then um, i saw a guy called tim Fain, a violinist playing knee play two on a youtube video and knee play two is one of the pieces i do it's originally a violin piece yep. he played it so from Einstein yeah, on the beach yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interlude for done on the beach. And he turned this piece into an amazing concert work and played it faster than anyone else had and more exciting. And I was just like, oh, wow, I've got to learn to play this because this is what I do. I, I see other pieces of music and very rarely can I just appreciate them. I just have to go, okay, I've got to play that on the guitar. And I basically spent two years trying to find a way of, in some way, emulating what he came up with and then, in the, and then going off and doing it my own way in the end because I couldn't play it like a violinist because the instruments are so different. Sure.
1: But what's interesting about that piece, and, and we were, Doug and I were discussing before we started recording, is that there aren't any double stops. It's all individual yeah. notes, and it, and it lends itself well to that transcription for guitar. It really
2: does. Um, well, I had to do a lot to make it fit on the guitar, but yes, yeah, yeah. single note lines, like, like a sort of um, Bach violin piece, they, they just fit beautifully on the <laughs> guitar. The loop pieces are horrendously hard to play, but the violin works and the cello pieces also they just, they're much nicer to play on, on the guitar. And um, so I started off with that. And then I kind of got more and more into Philip Glass's music and um, started to try the metamorphosis and piano pieces. Metamorphosis 1 just fits very easily, apart from one very difficult section. Like for two seconds worth, it's a nightmare. And the rest of the time, is beautiful to play. And, and then I worked and worked. And two years later, did the recording Went into a wonderful studio and had wonderful sound guys. I can tell you about that later, and and made the actual record. And then it was like, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to release it myself? And that was. Oh, so you. So wait, you did
1: the transcriptions and the recording before getting an authorization. Exactly.
2: And I thought. That's bold. Good move. It was risky. It was expensive and it was risky. Um, But I thought, if I'm going to convince Philip Glass to to like this, I've got to just make it brilliant and do it the best I can and get the best recording I can. And, and then it was another two years really before they listened to it. And, and then the next email I had after they said, okay, we'll listen to it before we give you permission. And then the next email was great. We'd we'd like to release it ourselves. Wow. on Philip's label. And I was like, okay, great. Well, yeah. And it's, um, it's been great because, um, Orange Mountain Music have done, um, so much more with it than I could have done personally. Yeah.
0: And,
1: it's a it's a wonderful selection of pieces, and I like having known Philip Glass's music for a very long time. I like the fact that there's a sort of um, what could I say this most of this music goes back to his early stuff. So opening from Glass works, uh, the the bit from Einstein, the things from solo piano. I think the solo piano one was what in the early nineties, something like that. Um, But but it's this style of Philip Glass music that arose in the early 1980s. And just before we started, I was looking up on Wikipedia the description of the Glassworks album. It says, Glassworks was Philip Glass's successful attempt to create a more pop-oriented, Walkman-suitable work with considerably Mm -hmm. shorter and more accessible pieces written for the recording studio. In fact, the cover of the cassette release said that it was specially mixed for your personal cassette player. And <laughs> I remember when that came out, and, and I had known Philip Glass's music before that, um, but this was a real sea change. It was the same year that Koyanis mm-hmm. came out. It was just a couple of years. Let's see. The photographer was, I think, was also 1982. Then I saw the revival of Einstein in 84 at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And this was like the period when he went from being what we in New York call the downtown composer, the mm-hmm. sort of name for the avant garde to, you know, a really big thing. It's like, He realized that, and I said to Doug earlier, that for me, there's a sort of fundamentalist, minimalist music in his work, like Music for 12 Parts. But then he came, and and the way he extended that into something that's so much more approachable is really interesting. And your selection gets all of that approachable music, rather than trying to do, say, Part 7 of Music for 12 Parts.
2: Yeah. There was, well, do you know the piece Two Pages he wrote? That's a very tough, tough listen. It's about... 15 minutes, and it's just five notes in different Oh, orders. the one on yeah. so, uh,
1: organ, electric organ. Uh, yes, yeah. I think polyorgan, organ,
2: yeah. And that, that nearly made it to the CD, but I, um, I kind of ran out of time in the studio. So oh, it's too that bad. Would have cha- that would have really altered the record, though. In the end, I'm kind of pleased um, that the record is what it is, because it, as you said, it, they all kind of fit together really
0: nicely. and. Oh, it's very listenable. Yeah. It's, it's imminently listenable.
1: So how hard was it to transcribe? And, and maybe knee play, actually the knee play might have been easier because it's single notes, it's just more that playing <laughs> it is so hard.
2: Knee play could be easy to play, um, but to play in such a sort of fast um, way, I had to kind of use a lot of what's called cross-string scale techniques. So instead of playing scales in a conventional way up and down a string, I kind of play almost like a harp. So each note gets a different string, and then I quickly change strings constantly to get um, a, a different notes. And also in the middle of that, I've got a capo that goes on and off as well between the kind of sections between the arpeggio section and the scale section.
1: Oh, so you cheated? So, so you? you, you no, it's, <laughs> no, it is possible live, but it, you have to be a virtuoso capo. Take it on. Oh. on. <laughs> it's true that see, I remember back in the days, capos were really hard to get on. But now they have those ones where you just kind of put it on and, and clip yeah. it.
0: Yeah, they make we'll a little... foot switch for it or something. <laughs> <Make> it <go laughs> yeah, <they're>, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to buy diff- just about every different version you could get to find a yeah. quick release. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, the knee two. That I guess that took me two years of experimenting really with different ways of playing it. Wow. Before that came about, and then the other one that was really tricky was opening as well that was actually very hard to play and And what really facilitated these pieces as solo guitar pieces was um retuning the guitar and not using conventional tunings because I was yeah. about to ask that I wondered about that
1: because as as someone who's dabbled with finger picking blues, there are all sorts of tunings that are used, yeah and it's like if it makes it easier, why wouldn't you do it? And and I'm thinking back to the days when I wanted to play some classical guitar. I've never learned to read music. I would have to like figure things out. Every good boy does, and I'd figure out every note like that. Because the idea of using tablature back then was just you know, it would it would have been a sin. I noticed that you sell music on your website where you have both the standard scores and tablature. Obviously, that's changed. And, and I find that weird because tablature has been around yeah, yeah. for centuries for, for for lute, for viola de gamba, for other instruments.
2: And especially when you start retuning the strings, tablature is just such a wonderful um, sure. way of, of getting your communication across, which is all you really want to do with sheet music anyway. And, um there was a famous piece for guitar called "Koyan Baba" by Domeniconi that came out maybe twenty years ago, which is a, r- a radical retuning of the guitar. And the way they published that was you had two um, two staves. One was um, what you hear, and the other one was uh, you just have to imagine playing it normally, but all the notes would be wrong. So you play a C, but it wouldn't actually be a C.
1: So it's yeah. it like, why didn't you just use tablature? Because that's just horrendous. <laughs> that's horrendous but I, th- I think that's how Bieber's violin sonatas are, are notated yeah. as well. Because they use scottatura with different tunings. And I think, I remember talking to a violinist once who explained that the, when they see the score, they're just, they're not thinking yeah. of the note they're I, playing. They're thinking of wrong. where that note is. <laughs> that's wrong. I'm sitting here trying to think, how can you reconcile That's it? like a triple abstraction of the music. Yeah, yeah you
0: have to like be in it and out of it at the same time and it's kind of like it's a waste of, that's a waste of time don't,
2: don't do that yeah. <laughs> yeah i think the tablet system is a lot going for it now, yeah
1: so what about the piano pieces transcribing them how hard were they because you you've got you've got more octaves on the piano doug
0: i well i was concerned about how you voiced it because i thought you made some excellent choices of how you voiced these chords um to have the same color well not maybe not the same color as the piano but of some kind of visceral color anyway, and it must be tough. That's the toughest part, isn't it?
2: Out of all of them, I guess, I think it's Metamorphosis 3. It's an introduction. It's a very simple arpeggio. Um, and then on the piano, he's got very low bass notes. And I just spent ages going back and forth. Do I raise up the arpeggio to get a lower note, or do I just put a high note in and keep keep the arpeggio in the in the right place? And yeah, I spent ages and ages going over these and just... In the end, just having to make a decision about what was possible. But that's, yeah, you have to compress the music quite a lot onto the guitar. Thin it out slightly. But that, that's the thing. I had to work out what what is the essence of the music? What did Philip mean by this? And when you have a two against three pattern of rhythm going on, I think it's essential that you keep that because you hear lots of people. If you go on YouTube, there's an amazing amount of people who've done transcriptions, but very few have managed to... Um, not thin it out too much in my opinion and and that's what makes it technically hard to play a lot of these pieces um some of them i had to come up with ways of like so my left hand is playing a two note pattern and my right hand is playing completely separate strings and so you have to make up a few little tricks like that to just make it work um so you can't just take a
1: score and drop it into amadeus and convert it (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do, well,
2: that's my methodology really is to get it onto Sibelius program, which is the particular one I use, and then yeah. press the transposition button, try it in different keys, Okay. have a good view of, overview of the piece, what are the highest notes and the lowest notes, and try and find one that will fit on the guitar nicely. And then I can retune the strings, which will again sort of give you a whole new number of options. And luckily now, after so much experience of doing this kind of thing, I'm, Getting slightly more intuitive at thinking, oh, if I just retune that one string to there, then and then suddenly it opens up. It's like a giant Sudoku or yeah. chess, chess game or something like that. Well, yeah, the,
1: yeah. the guitar is a strange instrument because you, you've got what is it, fifths? Uh, am I correct? Between
0: Wait, the, it's not linear. It's not linear. So you've, got, you've got fourths, That's,
1: but then you've got a third yeah, between the enormous. fourth and the fifth string. So, I was thinking maybe this year my
2: project would be to re-learn all the classical repertoire. But with the tuning, that would make it far easier, because half of these pieces would work better in a new tuning, I think.
1: So my, my, when I started trying this, my guitar experience was very limited. But when I bought a copy of the score of Britain's Nocturnal, the first thing I noticed was, wow, this is someone who understands the guitar. Well you go. And even me, I could feel that he was just, it was written for the guitar. Yeah, well, you, you,
2: you stepped in the deep end there, grabbing that, that piece. <laughs> and all. But yeah, I mean, the opening notes of that piece are just a single notes. And Bream helped as well, and isn't the guy there who understood the guitar yeah. as well as anyone ever has.
1: Um, what? Yes. But but the way he works with yeah. open strings, the way he works yeah. with natural chords, instead of these positions mm-hmm. where your fingers are all over the place, yeah. you could really hear the difference.
2: And you need, I think you need to, because guitarists struggle so much um you can't express yourself when you're when you're you're doing three things at the same time and and trying to add vibrato hopefully as well and that that's why you see people like Breen they look like they're in agony because they are it's physically extremely hard to do what he does and get that expression across while maintaining all of these different notes and I think a lot of players um nowadays can play all the music wonderfully well but they're not adding that extra um expressive element to it as well that's why they don't look like they're in as much pain. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Well, one thing I wonder about the guitar is, see, I, I have a feeling that when there are concerts of solo guitarists playing music, most of the people attending the concerts are guitarists. Oh, yeah. The same way that most people who buy poetry books are poets, that kind of thing. Oh. Um, and why why can't this be expanded to more I mean, I know it's, it's complicated. It's programming, it's, it's audience expectations and all that. But I saw Narcisco Yeppies alone in Carnegie Hall. Obviously, Yeppies, Segovia, they were an exception. But why? It, it's an instrument that can fill a well-designed concert hall, I mean, sound-wise. You don't necessarily need amplification. I'm just surprised that more programmers don't try to program guitar recitals.
2: Yeah, so am I. I don't know. I think it's also cheaper you know. than
1: a string quartet. I mean, well, with,
2: you know, hopefully the guitarists will get a good chance in this um, COVID world because there's only one person on stage and you you can play to smaller audiences. So maybe we'll That's get true. A, a bit of a break that way. Maybe the, the guitarists, we always want to kind of prove ourselves by sort of playing Bach or playing sort of classical music that we think classical musicians would want to listen to and then I remember going to some classical guitar concerts with non-guitarists and they are all really impressed with the things that the guitar can do like playing harmonics or or pieces that are really guitaristic and it's kind of I don't know guitarists kind of fighting themselves in a way sort of with the repertoire
1: yeah it, it seems like they're eating their own tails in some way yeah um, mm-hmm. I remember so this is again the early 80s who was it John McLaughlin Paco Di Lucia who was the uh, third one could be Aldimiola Aldi Miola. And I saw them at Carnegie Hall too. It was like the guitar Olympics. It was like I can play faster than you yeah. and you hear the guys up in the cheap seats. Yeah! yeah. Yeah. It was like going to like a, you know, a Black Sabbath concert in some ways. Did you... And frankly, I mean, I, I I knew the piece Mediterranean Sundance, which got a lot of radio play at the time, but the rest was just them going as fast as they could, and it's not really that entertaining.
2: No, that record, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's thrilling, but there there are better ones. Yeah.
1: Yes. Which reminds me of another guitarist who I really liked. I saw him once live, Larry Coriel. He was a jazz guitarist, and his solo work was really fascinating. He played with, you know, ensembles and all that. But he did a, I can't remember, there's a record he did that was solo. And I used to try and figure out some of the chords because he had all these weird jazz chords that that were hard to play. But yeah, wonderful instrument. So what's next for you? Let's see if um, Glass. There's, yeah. there's Beethoven's fifth would be good for guitar. <laughs> um how come you haven't I done a Bach it's... album? Come on, everyone has to do a Bach album.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh Bach, I don't know. One day, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, but it's like it doesn't I can never quite get it to fit on the guitar as nicely as I want it to. So But uh, aren't, well, there, we'll aren't to there tons of one.
1: transcriptions by, you know, the great guitarists? Yeah, but, uh, but they don't work always for you? something
2: that no
1: <laughs> yeah because yeah, cuz there's so many repeating
2: patterns if if the first pattern is played say on one string then i want the repeat of the pattern to be played on one string also because then the articulation is matched and and it's very hard to um to continue those articulations evenly across the guitar fretboard because it's not tuned evenly and things like that right. so maybe there's a tune a way of retuning the guitar that will work for certain pieces and I um, but i haven't got around to working on that yet I've actually I've just done more transcriptions. There's um, Eric Whitaker, uh, the choral composer. Yeah. Um he's he's commissioned me to do some transcriptions. So hopefully we'll have a, an EP out soon. I've just finished of chord, choral but... music. Yeah. See hmm. so there's a four-part choir piece called This Marriage that was sung during my ceremony as a surprise, and I loved this piece and thought I'd like to play that on the guitar, and and amazingly it fitted. Um so I'm just playing four-part chords. Um hmm. But he tends to like fifths in the bass or between the bass and the tenor and the guitar just suits that chord voicing very well. Mm -hmm. And I sent this off to him and he liked it and he said, how about you do this and send me some more pieces? And then I was thought, oh God, how am I going to (laughs) possibly fit these other pieces on the guitar? But
1: I've I found a way. that Well, it's it's quite a challenge. Uh, I mean, uh, you you sound like you're someone who who wants that sort of challenge. Yeah. If, yeah. if Bach is too boring for you, then <laughs> yeah. you have to do something else.
2: So, oh, Bach's not boring, but it's just yeah. No, I just, I I just hold him up in
1: such high esteem. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing also that that I I, I don't understand how it can be to be a musician and to say everyone else has recorded this Bach and Beethoven, so I have to do it too. Mm-hmm. You're measuring yourself against so many great musicians, it's yeah. hard to 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 say something original Absolutely. when you're doing that. And that's why um,
2: over the course of, I don't know, this is my sixth CD, I guess now, I started off with relatively standard repertoire and then went a bit left field and then started doing my own arrangements and then writing my own compositions. And then this Philip Glass one again is all trend, uh, arrangements and so that's that's the journey I'm on, is to try and play new pieces, really. Because, yeah, I I don't think I'll play things better than Bream did. And that repertoire has been done and is continually being done by hundreds of other people constantly. And it's like, I just want to go somewhere new, really. Yeah. Yep. See what I can find.
1: So so just let before we close, how's COVID treating you? No performances? I assume you probably teach a bit, maybe with Zoom or Skype? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of
2: that. Um, I learned Final Cut Pro. I've been making videos. Good. Um, I'd managed to do one concert you know, when the lockdown was um, lightened up a bit. And I have to say it was one of the best ever because there was no coughing. Because
0: right. no everyone in the audience was kind <laughs> so of... That's, that's why I think the guitar is great for this, because you can be concentrating on what you have to do and we can be concentrating on what you're doing. And it's just it works that way. Uh, I can't. Im- I can't imagine. Well, you've been to see classical guitar performances. I can't imagine seeing one with th- five hundred other people in the same room. It just uh, feels 500, weird. Five
1: hundred. Imagine a couple thousand. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, it is kind of strange because it it is an instrument. It's it's an intimate instrument, but when you see it in a big hall, it it. How can I say? It gives the instrument a different weight in a big hall like that you you kind of probably do have to pay more attention to be quiet so the instrument can be heard and i think as an audience member you're aware of that unlike say with a piano which is you know it's loud enough but it's like you're looking down on a stage and there's this little person all alone when there's a pianist they're in front of this big piano but with a guitar they're just sitting there with the guitar yes it's
2: it's tough i tend to use i've got a very nice bose guitar amplifier now and just invested in even better microphones, uh, so I'll use those live. And um, just very subtly, I don't want to make the guitar sound loud, but I just want it to, to for the audience not to, to strain too much, really, because I think the yeah. Yeah. what the guitar does well is sort of emerge from silence. So you need to have that very gradual um, sort of perceptible change between. Nothingness and the, and the quietness of the guitar. Yeah.
0: What kind of home setup have you got? You say you're doing some recording. Do you? I mean, you're going. Are you trying to do professional stuff or just get it on video?
2: Well, hopefully the the, the Eric Whitaker stuff that's um, that's been done purely by myself. But um, I couldn't. Yeah, the studio where I went into escape. Uh, Engineered doesn't work there anymore and things, but um, that's another story. That was a wonderful being surrounded by microphones, and f- I fell in love with one of them and then tried to buy it on eBay when I got back, but it was fifteen thousand pound because it's.
0: it's a great, it's a great recording. It really is. It sounds, it's perfectly recorded. How,
1: how do you how do you mic a guitar? How many mics are there to mic a guitar? I mean, obviously you can just stick one or yeah. or a pair, but you want to have the ambience, right?
2: Well ideally but there's some wonderful machines out there now that um can can do the reverb but um yeah for the for the philip glass album i had maybe 10 microphones on me and then a bit of reverb added to it as well as the room sound that we used and when the when the guy was putting the mics on me he sort of pointed one on my left hand and i was like that's the last thing i would amplified. that's just string noise isn't it and he's like well wait and see and then slowly faded that into the mix and it just had sure. some kind of little high-end little clarity to it.
1: Yeah, there's the vibration that comes from, from that bit yeah. all along the string. I would think you'd want to mic mostly from the sound hole, but you'd want to mic at different locations on the strings because they vibrate in different ways.
0: That must have been interesting to hear that played back that way, considering you didn't expect that to be part of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, they pull all that sound together and you can hear it. You know, disintegrated yeah, and yeah. then reintegrated. That's interesting. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When well, hear it on its own, it's awful. But when you just add it to the mix, it's just a little high end clarity kind of added to it. So, yeah. I mean, I studied recording quite a bit in university as well. And, but learned a lot again when you, um, in that last recording as well.
1: Okay. Gerard Cousins, I want to thank you very much. We didn't talk much about all of your other stuff, but there'll be links in the show notes. High recommendations to everyone listening to check this out. It's called. What's it called? Escape. It's it's called Escape. You know, I, I like... No exclamation I, I, point. I, I, no, I like no. this trend of albums, classical albums, having names instead of just, ooh, you know, box cello suites and, and all of that. Yeah. Uh, on the one hand, sometimes it goes a little too far, but I, I think it's a lot more interesting than just the name of the composer and the names of the pieces.
2: Oh, uh, well... We had big discussions with Orange Mountain Music about that. He's go, please don't say Philip Glass guitar album. We're so bored of that. We yeah. need some title. And then, then we were stuck in
1: lockdown, and it was like, I suddenly thought, escape. That's perfect. Why not? Ah, yeah. Yes, we should have asked about that. So it's the whole idea of escaping from lockdown.
0: Well, the cover, too. You see the cover the picture of him on this desolate road where he's... Well,
1: I, th- I thought that was you going down to the crossroads. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, the, the day... The day of, um, yeah, I thought it was very
2: American as well, does not it? Yeah. yeah. But the day of that um, photo session, I was booked in to go into a hall to try and, I was going to copy an old Philip Glass picture when he's um, looking up at the sky and playing uh, keyboard. And I booked a photographer and mine. And then we went to the hall and it was closed because the COVID had just kind of hit. So we, so we said, I know this nice sort of location. Let's just go out there. And, and the photo was done. And it's like, yeah. So uh,
1: a bit of luck there, I think. Okay, Gerard, thanks very much. Thank you.
0: We appreciate the support of our Patreon patrons, and if you'd like to get on that bandwagon, please visit uh, our account at patreon.com slash the next track. And any amount you can afford, it doesn't have to be a lot, but any little amount you can afford would be great. Helps us offset the costs that uh, we take out of our own pocket to keep the show going. So thank you, and we appreciate it. Kirk, you have a uh, next track.
1: I've got a bunch of Next Tracks. In fact, I'm going to pick three EPs. Remember what an EP is? An extended play record. It's funny that no one really thinks about that these days, that an EP is just a few songs, but it used to be... We talked about this one point. Original EPs were 10-inch records, so in between singles and 12-inch. Anyway, on the digital streaming services, there are three new EPs of music by Brian Eno. I believe I talked about his new film music release a couple months ago. And there are three EPs with collections of various pieces of music. The first one is called Film Music Crime Pays, the second one Interior, and the third Voices and Words. Now, these don't contain music that was necessarily on that new film music album, but they contain a combination of music. In fact, I'm not sure what the point is, like why everything went together, because the one that's called Interior, the first track is something called Blood Red from a BBC Arena program on Francis Bacon. The second one is Undersea Steps from Hammerhead's original motion picture soundtrack. Never heard of it. But the last, the fifth track is 2-1, which is the side two track one of Music for Airports. I don't think that that was ever used in a film. So I'm not sure what the point is, but there are are a couple of tracks in here that are remastered or that are unreleased. So three EPs, I'll link to all of them on Apple Music. In fact, I'll make a playlist on Apple Music and I'll link to the playlist. That would be the easiest way. What about you, Doug?
0: You probably have heard Bobby Keys, even if you don't know who he is, but I'm sure most of our listeners know who he is. He's an American sax player who spent most of his life playing with uh, British bands. He is the sax player that does the... uh, solo on the Rolling Stones' Brown Sugar. He does uh, the sax solo on John Lennon's Whatever Gets You Through the Night. He's essentially half of the horn section for the Rolling Stones, at least for the early part of the 1970s. He and his trumpet playing, trombone playing partner, Jim Horn, uh, did a lot of work with the Stones, did a lot of work with Delaney and Bonnie. They're on the Mad Dogs and Englishman album. And anyway, Bobby Keys is a very popular guy. He's not only popular with musicians, but, you know, he's a great sax player and he's fun to have around. In fact, Coincidentally, he happens to have the same birthday as Keith Richards, and he and Keith palled around quite a bit. And in fact, because of the palling around, he was actually asked to leave the Rolling Stones uh, organization by Mick Jagger. Uh, But anyway, that's another story. The story I want to tell is about this first solo album, which was recorded in the early 70s, but was never released until 2015. And it's something that I've been trying to get around to uh, for a number of years. I finally have. Um, It's an interesting snapshot of... The kind of music that you'd hear back in the 70s, especially from the people that Bobby Keys played with. This album has, surprise, Klaus Vorman, Ringo Starr, Keith Moon, uh, probably Bill Wyman, maybe Charlie Watts, Steve Winwood. People like that that weren't credited, but if you listen carefully, you can hear them. Now, this is an album of eight instrumental tracks you know what it sounds like it sounds like every so often he'd go into the studio and jam with some musicians and then later on he and jim horn would just recut some horn parts down on top of it and and they called it an instrumental uh it kind of sounds that way but as i say it's kind of like a snapshot of that kind of sound a lot of people were excited when this album came out i would not be excited by it uh but as an artifact it's very interesting it is bobby keys self-titled first album and it's my next track This was episode number 202 of The Next Track. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free, self-sustaining, and it's your support that keeps us going visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.